Get your Bibles, lift them up, and repeat after me. Say, this is my Bible. Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's Word. It's His truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys sound great this morning. Just out of curiosity, because literally I'm just curious, uh, how many of you guys, if you have a real live Bible in your hand, would you hold it up real quick? I just want to see how many people have those. Okay, you can put those down. If you've got a smartphone or an iPad or something, and that's what you have your Bible on, let me see, see those real quick. Wow, okay, very cool. That was interesting. We'll do a national report on what we just saw, and everybody will be... Absolutely amazed. That was cool. I was just kind of curious how you guys do that. All right, now listen, this is the first week in a new series that's going to be awesome, and we're calling it A Little Bit of Wisdom. Got the idea from a pastor in Alabama. We're going to be sharing and expanding on his idea here, but it's talking about how we need wisdom. But, but here's the thing. The Bible talks about wisdom a lot, but we get, as people, we get wisdom and knowledge mixed up. Okay, we tend to get the two, get our wires crossed on those sometimes. And so I want to kind of just clarify a little bit the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is information. Knowledge is what you get when you go to school and you sit down and you read a book or you read a newspaper or you look at something on a web- website. You get knowledge, okay, and that goes up in here. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Wisdom is what you do with knowledge. And let me give you a better illustration. Knowledge builds the ship. Wisdom helps you steer the ship and keeps you from running into icebergs. <laughs> okay, knowledge helps you build the thing, but wisdom is what helps you learn how to drive it and not run into stuff. Uh, another example would be knowledge builds a house. If you have knowledge, you know how to build a house, but wisdom helps you build a home. And there's a difference between having a house and having a home, right? Uh, both of my grandfathers, uh, one on my mom's side, one on my dad's side, uh, did not have a high degree of education. My, my papa, uh, on my, on Clem, on his side of the family, uh, he graduated from fifth grade and then he left and went and worked and eventually became a master carpenter. My grandfather on my mom's side, uh, he graduated third grade and figured that, all, that was all he needed. And uh, then they loaded up in a, in a trailer, uh, or trailer, a, a, what do you call the things with wheels? Wagon. They loaded up in a wagon from Mount Magazine. So by the way, part of me is from Arkansas. They loaded up from Mount Magazine and moved down to Texas with a third grade education. So, so they did not have a lot of knowledge up here, but they did have an incredible amount of wisdom. Both of those men are two of the smartest people that I know, but it's because of the wisdom that they had in their lives. And the Bible talks about wisdom a lot. Let's look at some scripture here. Proverbs 4 verse 7 says this, wisdom is what? Supreme. Wisdom is at the top of the food chain. Wisdom is the most important thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. It doesn't say if you, if you want to get knowledge, get it because knowledge is the most important thing. It doesn't say that at all. It says wisdom is the most important thing. Knowledge is great. I mean, I'm, I'm a edu- rare, fairly educated person, and that's wonderful, but wisdom is more important than knowledge. You can, have very, you can have a whole lot of knowledge and not a lot of wisdom. 
And that's called a train wreck, by the way, in case you're wondering what, what happens there. So we need knowledge and wisdom. Proverbs 26, verse 12 says this, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? You somebody that thinks they're really smart? There is more hope for a fool than for that person. Anybody ever met anybody that thought they were a lot smarter than they were? Come on. Yeah, don't point at me. That's not nice. Come on. Thank you, Dennis. Yeah, I saw that. I, I know what you're doing. Lord, I forgive him. You know he doesn't know what he's doing, Lord. Forgive him right now. We're going to talk about four different types of people in Proverbs today as we kick off the series. And I want you to see maybe where you are in this process or maybe where you would like to be. So let's, let's jump right, right into this. Four types of people that we see in the book of Proverbs. Number one, the first person that we see is the simple person. The simple person. Now, listen, here's the deal. There are a lot of people that are simple, and there is nothing wrong with being simple. Somebody that is simple is, is like somebody that's ignorant. Now, in the South, when we call somebody ignorant, we don't mean it like it really means. When we look at somebody and say, Jack, you are flat up ignorant, okay? That's not, you know, it's not, we're calling them dumb, okay? That's not what the word ignorant really means. Ignorant means you simply don't know. So somebody that is simple-minded, it doesn't mean they're dumb. It means they just don't know. And here's what the Scripture has to say about that, Proverbs 7, verse 7. I saw among the simple, and I noticed among them a young man, a youth who had no sense. How many know a youth that doesn't have any sense? Come on. Yeah. How many of you were a youth that didn't have any sense? Come on. Right. Now, here's the deal. It doesn't say that they're stupid. It says they just don't know. And so there is a cure for simplicity. There is a cure for somebody that is simple. And here's the cure. Look on your notes or on the screen. Time. We learn from experience. But here's what a smart person does. A smart person learns not only from their own experience, but from what? Others. The experience of others. Some of the smartest people I know, they ask a lot of questions. You know, a fool says, well, I'm not going to ask any questions. How many of you have ever driven somewhere and been a fool? Come on, let's be real. Right? We'll figure it out. We'll find it. It said south. The Gulf of Mexico is down there. We'll just keep going south. We'll eventually find it. You know, that's being foolish. But, but somebody that is wise... Like me, when I walk into Walmart, you know, I walk in and I go, where is the whatever? Because I don't want to walk up and down 400 aisles to try to find something. You know, so I'm not saying I'm wise. I'm just saying I'm smart enough to know I don't want to get aggravated, right? And so you can be simple, but if you ask questions, you can become wiser, right? Easy breezy. Let's go on and uh, look at number two. So the first kind of person is somebody that's simple. And all of us, by the way, at some point in our life are simple in certain areas. Number two, the fool. The fool. Now, how do you, deter how do you define the fool? Let me define this for you. A fool knows what they should do, but doesn't do it. A fool knows what they should do, but they don't do it. And so when you ask a fool, if you were to ask them, hey, why are you doing this? They would say something to the effect of, I want to, or it's fun. You know, they know they're not doing the right thing, but they make a conscious choice to do the wrong thing. 
Proverbs 10, verse 23 says this, A fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes. A fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes. And and I want you to know right here, let me help you out. Here's what I have learned in life, and and I want to see if you guys agree with me or not. Fools run in herds. Have you seen that? You know, you never see the lonesome fool out in a pasture by themselves. <laughs> you know, fools running coveys. I mean, there's usually a flock of them running around, right? And, and, and I've noticed in life, that, that's really how it works. But, and, and you say, well, pastor, how does that make sense? Let me ask you a question. If I were to bring you up here and talk about some of the dumb things you had done, you probably weren't by yourself, Right? There were opportunities for you where, where you or somebody else was with you and, and you made some decisions you probably wouldn't make. Here's what the Bible says about that. This is very interesting. He who walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. If you walk with the wise, you will become wise. That's how we get wisdom sometimes is by walking with wise people. But a companion of fools, if you're hanging out with fools, what's going to happen? You're going to suffer harm. That's why kids, young people, adults, I don't have to know what's going on in your life. I just have to know who you're hanging out with. Somebody say amen because that's good preaching. Ah, right there. I mean, that's that right there. Is on say, hey, what'd you do over the weekend? Oh, I was with such and such and such and such and such and such. And I'm thinking, I bet y'all didn't have Bible study. <laughs> right? So, so that's just a good life lesson. That's why our kids will tell you their whole lives, we're like, who are you going with? Where are you going to be? Because I know that if they're hanging out with trouble, they're going to find trouble. Boy, this is good stuff. I am preaching way better than y'all are amening. Somebody help me out. Right? So what is the cure for being a fool? How do you go from being a fool to becoming someone who's wise? Let me tell you what the Scripture tells us. The cure is tragedy. That doesn't sound like fun, does it? Because here's what this means. The fool says, I know what I should do, but I'm not going to do it. And so the cure for that, the way you solve that in somebody's life is tragedy. Something's got to happen that hurts. And that's usually what gets our attention, is that we have a situation in our life come along, we're going along, doing our own thing, we know we shouldn't, and then all of a sudden, we hit a brick wall. And can I tell you something? It's, many times it's not God necessarily punishing us, it's just the result of our decisions. But can I tell you some good news here? A lot of times when you have tragedy in your life, it's an opportunity for you to change. It's a wake-up call. You know, I don't know about you guys, but there was a rule at my house that my parents made that was ironclad. It said, if you get a spanking at school, what do you think? Oh, you guys are awesome. Some of you bear the scars like I do. I knew there were times, hard for y'all to believe, but I got in trouble at school, and they would spank me at school, and they would call my mom. But mom, see, what happened, I'm going to go ahead and confess, she's not here, After a while, I kind of got too big and strong for her to be able to spank me with any effect, you know, like third grade. And so the famous words were uttered by my mother, wait, your father gets home. Yeah, (laughs) I never really laughed about that. And and I remember getting a spanking one time at school, and I knew they contacted my mom, and that was the longest walk home (laughs) 
There was this expectation. But you know what? I didn't die. And I learned some stuff. Don't do that. And sometimes when God allows discipline to come in our life, it's to redirect our steps. He's not punishing us or allowing these things to come on us because he's mad at us. It's actually the opposite. The Bible says that God disciplines those he what? Loves. And so sometimes when the result of our decisions, our foolish decisions come on us, it's God actually loving us and giving us an opportunity to turn around. Maybe you'll look at that different next time you reap some consequences of decisions that you shouldn't have been making. So, the first kind of person is the simple person, but we know they can grow, right? The second kind of person is the fool. They're the ones that reject God's wisdom, do their own thing. Consequences there. The third kind of person is called the mocker. Everybody say the mocker. Now, here's what a mocker is. A mocker is a fool on steroids. <laughs> yeah. Mockers take it to a whole new level. Okay, mockers are the ones that fools, you know, they're out, yeah, I'm a fool, and, and they're doing their thing. But mockers are the ones that usually jack with everybody else. Let me put it in our, our modern context. Mockers are the ones that are on Facebook causing trouble just to cause trouble. They're the ones that incite issues in churches. They incite issues in families. They incite issues at work. There is something wrong and, and they, they are called mockers, and they, they stir things up. And I want you to know, I, I see the negative effects of this in people's lives. So the question becomes, we know they're out there. We know that they're causing trouble. We know that they are a fool. <laughs> so how do you deal with them? Proverbs 9, 7 through 8 says this, and it might surprise you what it says. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Look what the word says here. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. So how do you deal with them? They said some mean things about me on Facebook. They were in Idaho. I don't even know these people. I mean, how do, I want to give them a piece of my mind. Darling, you need all you've got. Don't give anybody anything. Just hold on to it. But here's what the Bible says. This, I'm going to help you, y'all. This is the word. Listen. Don't respond. A dear friend of mine this week, we were talking the other day, and some mean things being said, some untrue things being said on the inter Internet. And I said, don't look. Or somebody recently in our community kind of made an underhanded comment towards me. And, and it hurt my feelings. And there was that little button that said reply. And I went, Wah. And then this kind of jumped in my mind. Let me put it to you this way. Maybe this is a better way for you to understand. Don't crawl down in the mud and wrestle with the pigs. Say, Pastor, that's harsh. What does it say? What does it say? Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. In other words, when you stop and begin to deal with a mocker, you're inviting a conflict. That's exactly what they want you to do. And let me tell you, the Lord showed me this first service, and I want to share it with you now. Let me tell you what happens. You begin to put energy over here to these knuckleheads, 
Okay? And I'm being nice when I say that. And guess who you're taking energy away from? Your family and your friends and the people that love you and the people that know the truth and the people that are going to support you anyway. Don't waste your time. Don't do it. So what's the cure, Pastor? How do I deal with them? How do I, how do I go about in this world where there's cyberbullying and there's all these other things? How do I live this life? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to let God deal with them. We're going to let God deal with them. Y'all, how many times have you heard me say you can't change anybody? You're wasting your time. Here's what you do. Jesus said it this way. Pray for those who hurt you. Just give them to God. Can I just tell you, it, is, it has helped me be free in my life. And, and there is that, that terminology we use that says ignorance is bliss. Here's the deal. The mockers are going to mock. The haters are going to hate. Whatever Taylor Swift said. You know, I mean, however that song goes. Y'all know. Come on. I heard the song. Don't judge me. <laughs> you know. But here's the deal. They're going to do what they do. This will change some of your life. Don't mess with it anymore. Don't give it the time of day. Can I, I want to help you one more way here. You know, Ricky, are you in here? I may need your help. There's three things that cause a fire. Catalyst, right? Combustion. Heat. Fuel and fire. Oxygen, right? Okay. If you remove any one of those three elements, the fire goes out. So here's what I would say to you. Don't give oxygen to the people that are wanting to start the fire. Just don't give it. You're not going to respond. Here's what happens. Our friends come up to us. Did you hear what such and such said about you? Nope. Well, let me tell you, nope. Let's just pray for them and move on with our life. And let them be miserable in the pig pen. Amen. Solomon actually said that, not me, but I'll take that for him. So, okay. All right, so here's what we've got. Simple people. They can learn. The fool, they usually have tragedy, and it's there. They have to turn around or face destruction. Then there's the mocker. You've heard what the deal is. You just don't deal with them. You let God deal with them. Then there's the fourth kind of person, and this is the kind of person we need to be, the wise We need to be the wise. Proverbs 9 verse 9 says this, Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. And here's here's what that's saying. People that are wise, and this can be anyone in this room, it means that you're teachable. And I have a problem with this sometimes. Sometimes I'm not teachable. And Trisha, bless her heart, has to deal with that. But, but the reality is we need to all learn to have a more teachable spirit. And if we will learn to have a more teachable spirit, we become more wise. But if you think you know everything, we've already determined that. You're a fool because you don't know everything. But wise people are learning. And here's the other thing about somebody that's wise. They'll take rebuke. They will allow people to speak hurtful things to them to help them get better. I don't mean being mean. I mean getting better. How many coaches do I have in a room? Come on. Coaches, 
All right, now listen, when you get coaches out there, coaches come up and they say, oh, you're doing pretty good, but, but guess what? If, you, if you'd move this arm a little bit different, or if you'd stand a little different, or if you adjust your grip or do this, they're helping us. It's not that they're picking on us. It's that they're trying to help us be better. They're trying to help us be better. And they're coaching us. And that's what wise people allow. Because listen to me, folks, the day you decide you know everything, you've just capped your growth right there with what you know. And I know some of you, and you don't know as much as you think you do. Right? But a wise person can gain, can continue to gain that kind of knowledge. Jesus said this also, that it's something that we've got to get in our hearts. And we've got to learn to trust and lean on God. Look at Proverbs 9, verse 10, and we're going to talk about moving on to the next level. We're going to talk about the fear of the Lord and what that means. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And let me just say this comment. Your view of God will determine your relationship to Him. And and guys, hear me. I, I, I don't know what people say, but I would assume if I was on the outside looking in at Pastor Chris... I would say pastor loves to talk about mercy and pastor loves to talk about the love of God and pastor loves to talk about grace, and I do. I live there, and those are the things about my, my, got my relationship with God that I'm so thankful for. But here's why all those things are there, because I understand that God is holy, that I understand that God is all these things that we're about to talk about and that he is just. And we've done ourselves a disservice in Christianity thinking that we can do whatever we want to do and there aren't going to be consequences. That's not the truth. The reality is there are consequences to the decisions that we make. But the Bible tells us that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to take our punishment on himself. But there was going to be punishment. And there's a reality to that. Listen to this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. This is Jesus. Jesus says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. Don't be worried about what man can do to you but they, because they cannot kill the soul, but rather be afraid of him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And there is judgment and there is a God who will judge because God is holy. And we need to understand that. And so we need to have a a reverential fear of the Lord. And that's actually another word there when it says the fear of the Lord. The other word is reverence. We need to understand reverence. You know, I, I know a couple of judges. A couple of them I would call them friends. But there's something about being in a courtroom with a judge. And I mean a real deal judge. I don't mean a beauty pageant judge. I don't mean judging a pig judge. I mean a judge that walks in with the robes. And everybody walks in and everybody rises and sits down and there is somebody in that seat that is going to make some decisions. And the decisions they're going to make are going to impact the rest of your life. Can I tell you something? There's a reverence for that position in in my life. And I want you to understand something today that God, the Bible tells us, is he's going to be there and he's going to judge the living and the dead. God, I mean, that's going to happen. He is the judge. And his judgment is correct. And so Jesus is saying, you don't need to be worried about what people can do to you. What you need to be concerned about is this righteous, holy God and his judgment. 
Because he not only condemns the body, he condemned the soul for eternity. That's Jesus talking. So what does he mean there? Let's look at these things, and I'm going to clean this up, okay? Number one, this is something you guys need to understand. God is awesome. Number one on your notes there. God is awesome. Everybody say, God is awesome. Now let's talk about, we use that word a lot. I use it all the time. That's awesome. I ought to be on a beach, right? I mean, but it is. What it means is God is awesome. That means he's amazing. He is miraculous. Look at the scripture, Psalm 33, verse 8. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. What does that mean? God operates not only in the natural, but in the supernatural. How many of you have ever seen God heal somebody? Okay. How many of you have ever seen God restore a relationship? Let me just put it this way. How many of you have ever seen God do a miracle? Supernatural. God does something that we can't do. Supernatural. In the natural, we're limited, but God is outside of all that. He does supernatural things. He has the ability to go and do and make things happen that we can't make happen in the natural. He is awesome. He spoke and the world was created. Think about that. He didn't even have to do anything but speak. He is awesome. And he is amazing. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says this, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. He's awesome. Here's another thing we need to understand about God. He is holy. Holy. Psalm 99 verse 5 says this, Exalt the Lord our God, bow low before his feet, for he is holy. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let me just tell you this. Guys, remember Moses in the Old Testament? Jesus, I mean, Dennis, you remember, y'all went to school together. I mean, there was, there was Moses, and Moses was God's first pastor, and he went out, and, and he, the Ten Commandments happened and all that, and, and he says, God, I want to see you. I want to see you face to face. And God said these words to him, no one can look on me and live. And so the Bible tells us that he hit him. There's that song. He hit him in a cleft of a rock. And when the Lord passed by, he put his hand over so that Moses would not be consumed. See, we need to understand God is holy. Sin cannot exist in his presence. There's a reason that Jesus had to come and die, y'all. This, this, I want you to get the perspective because, see, in our culture, we're all about mercy and grace, and here's the problem. We take that and we twist it and we turn it into let's do whatever we want to do because God's a God of love and he's not going to judge us for anything. That's a lie. God is holy. And because God is holy, the Bible tells us in John three sixteen that he loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to take our punishment because God is holy. Because God loves you so much that he didn't want you to be judged. He didn't want you to have that kind of wrath. 
But, but he and sin can't coexist. It's, we call it the original sin. It was when we rebelled against God and had to be kicked out of the garden or be destroyed, and God loved us. And all through eternity, we see God moving us towards this place where Jesus comes. And then Jesus takes our punishment. That's when I say that to you. He took our punishment on himself. That's what that is. He took your judgment. The wrath of God was put on him. Because he loves you. Because he is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we can't even stand to look at him because of his holiness. But his love is over his judgment. Isn't that awesome? I love that. Here's the other thing that I want you to understand God is right. God is right. Wow. What does that mean, Pastor? This is my Bible. Every word in it is true. What that means is, is God is right, and this word is true, and what the Bible says is. And, and if you ever hear me or anybody else that says, hey, I don't agree with this. I don't like this. I don't think this is right. Look, it's not, it's not their call. God's word is true. It's his word. And God is right. Psalm, one, or Psalm 19, 7 through 11 says this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. When we agree with God and we begin to align our steps with the way God does things, he begins to reward our life. See, when we follow God's way, and let me just help you right now, when you're trying to make decisions in your life or you're wondering if something's right or wrong, here's an easy way to do that. Are you ready for this? This is rocket science. Very complicated. What does God's word say? And if God's word says do it, do it. And if God's word doesn't say anything about it, pray about it. But if it doesn't go against his word, okay. But if it does, then you have to go with what the truth is. Otherwise, when you decide to do your own thing and move outside of that, now you become a fool. And you reap the consequences of those decisions got to tell you one time about something I did. I don't think my kids have heard this, so I'm going to tell them myself. When I was a kid, maybe third or fourth grade, me and a bunch of my buddies in the neighborhood we lived in used to like to ride our bicycles all the time. But as I got a little bit older, uh, my parents gave me a curfew. I think I had to be in by 10 o'clock or something. And so we decided one night we were going to sneak out. Anybody ever snuck out? Kennedy, leave your hand down right now. Uh, but anybody ever snuck out? Come on, your parents aren't here. It's okay. It's all, it's all right. Okay. So I remember uh, sneaking out one night, and I got outside, and I went outside. I had a huffy bicycle with a banana seat. Come on, somebody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. 
So I get out, jump on my hog, <laughs> and I get out there, and I find my buddies, and we're out riding around in the neighborhood doing nothing, but right, we're awesome. We are rebels without a clue, right? I mean, we are out, and it's dark, and there's nobody out, and we're riding around. It's like getting close to midnight. My other buddy said, man, I'm, we're all going to go home. So everybody peeled off. So now I'm by myself, and I'm riding along, and all of a sudden, and I have no idea where this thing came from, this huge dog started chasing me. Right? So this dog's chasing me. I don't even remember this dog barking. I just remember looking back and seeing this huge dog chasing me. So I'm like, you know, I'm just like pedaling, pedaling, pedaling. Well, somewhere along this journey I'm on, he left. I don't even know what, I don't even know that I look back. He was just gone. And, and I pedal up and I get up in the driveway and I slow down and I get off my bike and I set my bike down and I go up on the front porch and I'm exhausted because I've just, you know, I'm tired thinking about it right now. And I get up on the porch and I lean up against the porch and I heard ding. We have one of those doorbells that went ding dong, right? And I went ding. And I just sat there. Because what happened is the ding dong just hit the ding dong. <laughs> and so I hit it, and I remember sitting there thinking, now what am I going to do? And so it's like being in one of those war movies when you step on the mine, you know, there was nobody to save me, right? And so, and so I sit there, and I remember jumping off and then trying to go inside, and then I met my demise <laughs> when that happened. And, you know, you can figure the rest of that out, but... Sometimes when we rebel, sometimes we do our own thing. Sometimes when we encounter the truth, there are consequences. And can I just say to you today, from the bottom of God's heart to yours, it's because he loves you. It's the reason we tell our kids not to go play in traffic. It's the reason we tell them not to put their hand on the stove. It's the reason that God gives us the Ten Commandments, not because he doesn't want to have fun. He doesn't want us to face destruction. God loves you. And the commandments are in place to protect you. But he loves you so much, he's even made provision for you when you fail. My favorite story in the Bible, well, there's two of them that are equally favorite, but I'm going to tell you one of them just real quick. Jesus was talking to a group of religious leaders. And he shared this story of a young man, we call him the prodigal, who decided one day that he wanted his inheritance. And so they give him his inheritance. And the Bible tells us he went off to a foreign land and he blew it on partying and everything else that goes along with that. And after all of his money was gone, all of his friends were gone. Remember we talked about who we were hanging out with earlier? And he found himself by himself, and he couldn't afford to eat or anything else, so he began to work, and he ended up working at a farm in a pig pen. Now, he's a Jew, and, and pigs are, are unclean animals, and here he finds himself down in the mud feeding the pigs, and the Bible tells us he would, he would even eat the food that was given to the pigs. He was a fool. And he was reaping the consequences of being a fool. 
And Jesus tells us that one day as he's in that situation, a light comes on and he realizes, man, even my servants in my father's house don't live like this. They're treated better than this. Maybe if I go home and I beg to, to just be let back on the farm, maybe they'll let me just do something. I know I can never be a son again. I've given that up. But maybe I can just work somewhere. You know, I told you the story about walking home after getting a spanking, knowing that the closer I got to home, the judgment awaited me. So just imagine in your mind's eye for a moment that this young man is walking these many miles back to his home. And can you imagine every step he took, he knew he was drawing closer to judgment that he deserved. Well, the Bible tells us that as he got close to home, he could see the house, and he looked up, and his father was sitting on the front porch like he had been doing every day, looking for his son. And the Bible tells us that the father stood up and ran to meet the son. And he embraces the son. And the son has this speech that you know he's been working on all these miles. Father, this is what I've done. And, and I know I don't, you know, he tries to spill it all out. And the father says, my son who is dead is back. My son who is dead is now alive. And he forgave him and placed a ring on his finger and took his robe and put it around him. And he adopted him back into the family. And the reason this story was so powerful as Jesus began to relay it to the people was they realized either they're the judgmental older son who didn't help or they're the younger son who needs to be saved. But there's the revelation in the younger son that I have now reaped the consequences of my foolish decisions. But I want to come home. There's no judgment. There is only forgiveness. Here in a minute, we're going to do something a little different. We're going, to, we're going to take communion to close today. And as a matter of fact, if the ushers will come forward, we're going to go ahead and prepare for that. And I want to do this for a specific reason today. Some of you, some of you need to be honest with God. Maybe you're simple, you just don't know enough. That's okay. We can get past that, can't we? We can learn stuff. Some of you are making foolish decisions, and it hurts. But just can I tell you, just like the young man in this story, that if you'll choose, God will forgive. That's why Jesus came. Guys, we talk about the gospel being the good news. This is the good news. You deserve punishment. You can receive forgiveness and redemption. That's good news. Some of you today maybe even find yourself in the place of a mocker. You're stirring up problems. You're the instigator. And I'm sorry if that's you today. Because I love you, I want to share the truth. I want you to see that. And let's get rid of that. Lay it down. There's forgiveness for you too. But some of you want to be wise. Anybody want to be wise? 
Let's be wise. So here's step one, being wise. Admit that there's something there that you need help with. Maybe there's an area of brokenness in your life. It's time for a change. That's what today is. So we're going to take communion. And we're going to remember the price that Jesus paid so that you could receive that forgiveness. The price that he paid so that you could receive freedom. The price that he paid so you could come back home. There is no judgment here. The good news is I'm not your judge. The good news is no one in this room is your judge. We're not here to judge anybody. But I would be a bad pastor if I didn't tell you the truth. And that's what this is. It's the truth. But there's a way. Amen? So in these moments as we hand out the elements, I just want you to take some time to really examine your heart. Ask God to search you. See if there's anything you need to deal with. And then let's take care of it, okay? Let's enter into a time of worship.